Hey listener, this podcast is called Trigger Warning Romance for a reason. It is intended for an 18 plus audience due to the adult context and triggers that may be discussed in each episode. Please check the show notes for a full list of triggers and proceed with caution. You have been properly warned. It's time to count off the triggers. Welcome to Trigger Warning Romance, everybody. I'm Nat. I'm Tori. And tonight, we're going to be going into Lust by Drethy Annis. It's a deep dive, and we're really excited about it because it's the second installment in this Seven Sins series. Just so that you know, you can't expect spoilers. So if you haven't read the book yet and you want to wait to listen to us, we won't be offended as long as you come back. Yes. If it is a deep dive episode, which most of our episodes are, if it's a title and author, it is going to have spoilers. (laughs) FYI. (laughs) First, I just want to congratulate Trigger Warning Romance on getting our very first one-star review on Apple Podcasts. Oh my goodness, no, really? (laughs) I feel like we're legit now. I love it. Did they they comment anything or just leave the rating? No, it was just a rating, (laughs) which I I did not find disappointing or mad or anything. I even told Mr. Savage that I feel like a legitimate podcaster now that I have my very first bad review. We have finally hit the big times. We have (laughs) made it. But actually, I do want to point out that we have gotten a few new reviews, uh, very nice ones that were written. And one of you I know found us from TikTok. So welcome. And we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for all the nice words. And while we're talking about reviews, for all of you who have left them, post a screenshot of that in our Facebook group that puts you eligible to win the signed the ruthless obsession series yeah. by zoe Blake. we're really we're really excited to give those away to you and zoe's been so nice to give them to us and she even included a very cute novelty zoe blake exclusive flower vase which she said is not being made anymore so it's limited edition and it's super cute i will post a picture on our instagram for it and in the facebook group there's a post on the facebook group it's pinned to the top so you can find it easily but all you need to do is take a screenshot of your review and post it under that pinned post. And we're going to be using a random number generator to pick our winner during our sweet velocity yeah. episode. We're very excited month. about all of that. And it, it can be a one-star review. We don't care. <laughs> as long as you write yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, say something. We don't care what it is. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just found that really entertaining. I'm not sure why. <laughs> But. Oh, no, that entertains me, especially since I had a conversation with someone today on Facebook about one star reviews and using those as I told them it was kind of like Pokemon yeah. to try to catch them I, all. The more trigger warnings that they put in there that they dislike, the more likely I am to read the book. How funny is that? I just did a TikTok about that, about how I go shopping for books based on one star reviews. Oh, I love it. So I guess that makes makes sense. But anyway, let's get back to Lust because it was a good one. I knew you were going to like it. 
Oh my God. I mean, I knew I was going to like it too because I love everything Frethy writes. So I went into it knowing I was going to like it, but it was so good. It was so good. I loved it. It was dark. It was taboo and it was hot. I think it it hit all of my check marks. Yeah. The only thing I was a little bit disappointed in was that the hero was a human and it wasn't lust himself. I thought it would have right. been extra cool if it was. I mean, we we got a little glimpse of lust and his situation with his Sarah. Maybe we'll get a because at the end of it, Rethi said that if we she gets to a certain amount of reviews, she'll do an epilogue. So here is my personal request. <laughs> It might be a little bit selfish, but hey, can I get an epilogue of actually Lost and his Sarah? Because I want them to have a happy ending. Here's my request. The end. <laughs> it was a very creative way of interpreting oh, yeah. for the Seven Sins. I think that it's the only human hero yeah. in the series. And I thought it was a, a, a neat take on it. Yeah, please don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. And he was everything I wanted in a hero. But I just... I wanted more of, um, I keep, I want to say Amadeus. Yeah, I, I keep, Amadeus. I'm going to say Amadeus this whole time because that's, that's how I, and I just had Amadeus, 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 Amadeus in my head the whole time I was reading it. I know it's not how you're supposed to say it. Oh. Asmodeus. Asmodeus. Thank you very much. We know that English is my second language, okay? Uh, let it go, guys. <laughs> But Lust starts off with a 15-year-old Tristan in mm-hmm. Michael's office. I got really tickled at the very beginning because Michael is the therapist and he asks Tristan, and how does that make you feel? And Tristan rolls his eyes and he says something to the effect of, for $300, I thought he would be a little less cliche. Yeah. Cliche. <laughs> I agree. I agree. It was really funny. But Okay, can we just say what I really, what worked in this book is I love me my age gap and there was an age gap in here because he was 11 years older than Sarah, right? Just under 11 years because he was was 15 and she was four or five. So it worked really well. Yeah, so what happened was his mom married Sarah's dad and they became step-siblings, but then they became adopted siblings. And... Sarah was one of those goody two-shoes as well. And she was another Mary Sue because she wanted to help the homeless and she wanted to help the the battered women and she worked at the shelter. And even when she was a little kid, when they first met, Tristan put her American doll. And those are expensive, guys, if you don't know. Those are expensive dolls. They're like 80 bucks, 100 bucks. Not only was it an American doll, it was a custom-made American doll. That's better. His mom had it made for her. And he put it in a stew and like ruined it. His mom and her dad blamed her for it and then and she didn't tell on uh, him yeah because she was a little mary sue no she just knew she was going to get him back later on i guess she she might be a mary sue but she had an evil streak a mile wide and i was there for it yeah i loved all the pranks that they played on each other it was a lot of fun i think the pranks were probably some of my most enjoyed moments Because they were so incredibly creative and so incredibly unique and things that I would never have come up with. I I loved all of it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. 
but we don't really get into it until a little bit later, right? Like with with them because he he goes off to college and he doesn't come back for a while. He's becoming a politician, which is like the most evil career choice you can you can make, I think. Well, his dad was a politician and he's he's following in his dad's footsteps. Yeah, because they even said um, that even though his mom married Ragu, I don't know how to say that. I'm going with Ragu. Yeah, I'm going with Ragu too. It was actually, I think, Raguel or Rag Raguel or something like that. Which is a weird name. But they call him Ragu. Okay. So Ragu and Mary, Tristan's mom and Sarah's dad, get married. And usually Ragu would have given his last name to Mary, but because Mary was married, Mary was married, ha, <laughs> to Tristan's dad, who was this politician and kind of well-known, they actually ended up giving their last name to Ragu and Sarah, which is a little bit different. That was the name that had all of the, the prestige associated with mm-hmm. it. And Tristan didn't want to be the only person in the family with a different last name. Yeah. And that was a, that was a big deal. Yeah. So they all took Mark, Markov's last name. Now, before we, we get started in what happens once we get past the, the initial meeting there, one thing that was established during the Michael visit that was very important is that Tristan confesses about a what Michael calls a manifestation that someone appeared in one of his dreams and they made him an offer that he could have all the desirable things that he could want, money, women, looks, power. And in order to do that, all he would have to do is give up love. He couldn't have anything lasting. Mm -hmm. And Michael brings up a comparison between Tristan's story and one of the fallen angels was Asmodeus and he was the demon of lust. And he was known for appearing in people's dreams and making them the same kind of deal. Asmodeus was in love with Sarah with an H. With an H. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) And she was apparently quite a trickster as well. But he would invite people to have all of the superficial things that they wanted with giving up love and being kind of engulfed in, in the sin of lust. Throughout the book, Michael draws comparisons between Asmodeus's Sarah and his story and Tristan's Sarah and their story. But it starts there at the very beginning. And that's that's an important thing to not miss. Yes. What I loved was when they first met when they were like 15 and five, however old they were. And he did that to her doll and she did not say anything to the parents about it. The fact that she took his jacket, the very special jacket that he wore, and dumped it in the sink along with the stew, loved it. Because what five-year-old has that kind of balls, man? Good for her. It was hysterical. Sarah definitely has the balls in that relationship. I don't know, though, because he's he's something for sure. I mean, he bullies the shit out of her when he needs to. When we get to the prank where he switched all of her clothes for that was funny clothes that were a size too small, I thought I was going to die. I would have murdered. Uh, yes. When he did that to her, I thought of it because as a woman, most women, I would say, right, I'm going to say myself, like you're very conscious of your weight and the way you look in clothing. So, you know, when that pair of jeans just gets a little tight and you're like, oh, no. So can you imagine all your clothes fitting smaller and you're like driving yourself crazy because you think you gained weight, but you really didn't? I would have killed him. 
Yeah. I would have totally unalived that man. Yeah. There would have been no happily ever after, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was funny. After Sarah dumps the stew on the jacket, we get to, we kind of do a time, time jump. It just goes to present day. She is 19 and he is 30. And I thought it was really interesting that, well, Tristan is on his way to becoming the youngest senator to be elected in Virginia. And I thought it was really interesting how much control this 30-year-old exerted over his entire family. I mean, Ragu and Mary both quit their jobs to work on his campaign. His trust fund was paying for the house and all of the bills, and he didn't allow Sarah to work. The only job she was allowed to have was working for charity. Yeah, because it was good for his campaign. And I thought that showed a lot of a lot of power for somebody that age. Yeah, absolutely. I loved every minute of it. <laughs> Who here is surprised? I can tell you it's not me. When we first meet her is she's getting arrested more or less. And it's, it's all a misunderstanding, but they said that it looked like she assaulted a cop. Well, she had, she is leading this, they call it a riot, but it's not really, it's. It was a protest. Protest. Because the charity that she works for is a domestic violence shelter. And it's been bought out by this big company and they are going to tear it down. And Sarah and a bunch of other people are protesting this. And there was a kerfuffle and it, she's more or less, she's not really getting arrested, but they brought her into the basement of that shelter. And this is where we meet Tobias. Tobias is the police officer who has, um, he pseudo arrested her. <laughs> well, he's, he's like the jailer. He, I think that he's the one that was in charge of, of making sure she didn't get into any more trouble. And she is irate. The amount that this girl can talk, oh my God. Yeah. She starts going on a Katniss Everdeen comparison, which was hysterical because she says, you know, Katniss Everdeen was also persecuted for standing up to the man. And he's like, are you really comparing your unsolicited attack on an officer of the law with a fictional character who freed a dystopian society? Well, she starts arguing that no one read her her Miranda rights. And he says something to the effect of, oh, you definitely have the right to remain silent, but whether you are capable of it. (laughs) And they kind of start flirting a little bit and she likes him and he clearly likes her. But then Tristan shows up as they're flirting and he's not too pleased to see her alone in a basement with another man, especially one who's apparently good looking. And Tobias doesn't want to trust Tristan either. And when Tobias asks Sarah, do you know this guy? Her response is, no, I've never seen him in my life. Yeah. So Tobias gets all protective of her. You know, stay behind me. I've got this. Tristan's not happy. (laughs) Oh, it was amazing. Well, Sarah, even though Tobias is threatening her arrest, she is very attracted to him. And the fact that he challenges Tristan is even more appealing. So they go home. He's like, you can't be seen with police officer because it's bad for my campaign. So you have to stay away from the police officer. Like, don't get yourself in trouble, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't mean to get arrested. But after that, we switch to Sarah's home and Sarah is ruminating over her curse. Something to the effect of the last seven guys that she has shown any interest in. 
has been hurt. One of them was poisoned. One of them was attacked in a parking lot and had his hands run over. There's all kinds of these unfortunate accidents. And Sarah was the last person to be seen with every guy. And even some of the girls, because some of the girls are now talking bad about her. And they're saying, oh, like the Sarah, she's a curse. Don't don't be seen near her. And then those two girls get hurt right after she heard them say this about her. So now she's like, I can't have any friends. I can't have anybody to talk to because I'm going to put them in danger. And when she's going to college, Tristan and her parents use that against her because she wants to go far away to college and they won't let her because she needs to be close so they can sweep these mishaps under the rug because we can't have anything negatively impacting Tristan. Her parents even believe that Sarah has something to do with all of these attacks. They seem to believe that she thinks she's innocent, but they don't actually believe that she is innocent. Yeah. And then is that when after that is when there's that uh, soiree they have to go to? Right. The fundraiser. The fundraiser. It's for a charity. They have to get fancy and do a a first dance because it's, I don't know, it's a cotillion or something. I don't know. It's like Southern stuff. I don't understand it. Mary was, they describe her as being a very Southern belle. Mary has put together this ball and they get all fancy. And Tristan and Sarah always lead the first dance. Except tonight, Tristan is running late. And conveniently, there's a police officer there to dance with her that she's met before. Turns out that Sarah's parents are friends with Tobias's parents. And Mary decides that this is the perfect opportunity to set Sarah up. Yeah, it's quite a plan. But but yeah, so Tristan is late to this ball or whatever it is. And Sarah agrees to dance with Tobias, who's there to escort her onto the dance floor. She's a little wary about it. But she's like, okay, I have to dance. So let me just get this dance over with and then I'll skedaddle. But he won't let her. He really likes her. So he wants to take her for a drink or whatever. He goes to get her drink and he comes back and he's like, did you miss me? And she says no, because Tristan showed up during the time he was gone. And she was too focused on Tristan's arrival to even notice that her date had disappeared. Yeah. And Tristan didn't care that much because they just assumed they just didn't do a first dance. But then he finds out that she had this first dance with Tobias instead. And because his date tells him Lilith, which I thought was a very interesting choice for a name. I did too. Yeah. I, at first I was like, wait, okay, with all these fancy demon things, I was like, oh, is she a demon? But she never turned out to be a demon. Spoiler alert. So she was a totally human demon. Yeah. But he got all bent out of shape when he found out that she danced with this other guy, the same guy that he told her to stay away from, she danced with, and he took it personally. Well, part of the reason, and Dreffy lays it out as clear as day. He says, I needed to look away before someone caught me oogling my sister. There were too many eyes here tonight. What would they think if they knew of my lecherous thoughts? Tristan Markoff, son of the legendary politician Davis Markoff, wanted to fuck his little sister's brains out. Yes. Yes, he did. But it, uh. Well, soon after that, that's when Tobias and Sarah take their walk. Yes. And again, Tristan is like, I got to follow them. He's going after them. And then Tristan gets caught up with with people who are wanting to contribute to his campaign and Lilith notices Tristan's preoccupation with Sarah and her response is something to the effect of I I think that they left and she says your your sister 
And he says stepsister. And she says, no, adopted sister. And she, and it's pretty clear that she has designs on Tristan. Could you please tell me what the heck the difference between adopted and stepsister is? It's pretty much the same thing, no? It's a legality. An adopted sibling is considered to be a sibling just like a blood-related sibling in terms of the way that it's legally looked at. Whereas a step-sibling, only one parent has the legal ramifications of being a parent. I gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks. So it's also a matter of in Virginia, step-siblings can get married, whereas adopted siblings, that's illegal. Because Tristan wonders several on several occasions what he has to offer Sarah. She wants a family and she wants kids. And that's something he's never going to be able to offer her. One, it would ruin his reputation to be married to his sister. And all of the negative commentary would just ruin any chance that Sarah had of happiness. But Tobias and Sarah take their stroll around the gardens. And, and Tobias says, well, he's not really your brother. And she gets very offended. She says, blood isn't the only thing that makes somebody your family. And then she's like, wait a minute. Why am I, why am I responding this way? Why am I acting that way? And she kind of blows it off. And then he kisses her. Oh, yeah. And she freaks out. (laughs) She's afraid something bad's going to happen. And she Cinderella's out on him. She's like, I got to go. Peace. (laughs) And off she goes. She says goodbye to Tobias. Thank you for the best of my life. I tilted my head to the side one last time and glanced at the beautiful man before bolting towards the parking lot. She says, I had forgotten that no one was allowed to get close to me. If I truly cared for someone, I had to keep away to protect them from the calamity that followed. Yeah. Then she goes home and changes and go like, and Tristan. He sends Steve after her. And then Tristan leaves to go home, but he doesn't go home to his house. He goes home to Marianne Ragu's where Sarah lives and more or less breaks into her bedroom <laughs> or is she on the balcony that like the connecting balcony from his I think they have a connecting balcony next to their two rooms right yeah Sarah is out on the balcony in just her nightshirt mm-hmm. yes very sexy and he's oogling her and they start talking about their prank wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Lilith as we've already mentioned, has designs on on Tristan. And I think Tristan's mom even wants them to get together. Yes. So she's kind of arranged this. Because what we find out later is that even though Tristan used to be a complete man whore and sleep with everybody, he hasn't in the last couple of years, right? He's been more or less celibate. Right. Because all of those hookups he's had were very shallow. They weren't fulfilling for him. And... Ever since he's found out that he's more or less obsessed and in love with his sister, he doesn't want to have sex with anybody besides her. So he's been blue-balling himself for quite a while. But Lilith doesn't realize this. And she's still hoping against hope that he's going to come to his senses. And so Sarah, at one of their social engagements, Sarah took a magic marker. She took a Sharpie. And she wrote, marry me on the bottom of Lilith's coffee cup. Yeah. So when Lilith finished the cup of coffee, she thought Tristan was proposing. Yeah. So Lilith makes a fool of herself thinking that Tristan is proposing. Yeah. And he says, I didn't have anything to do with that. Because what we didn't mention is that Sarah is biracial. So she has her dad's like gray eyes and her mom's complexion and hair and she's stunning of course 
of course she's stunning but he calls her ugly all the time to make her kind of think that he's not attracted to her almost like in a mean way in a sibling kind of mean way well i thought it was kind of like the, the when you're a little kid and the boys pull the girl's pigtails because they like her and want their attention want her attention and that seems to be how the pranks go between sarah and tristan they're always this back and forth and i think it's his way of keeping her attention on him i mean that's that's my opinion on it that may not be at all what the intention was but that was how i took it yeah but but he he's shirtless at this point and obviously he's guys he's like lust incarnate more or less yes because lust came to him and gave him an ultimatum was like yo you could be super hot and you can get everybody and anything you wanted except true love and he was young and dumb so he'd accepted it so he's ripped and she's clearly googling him even though she doesn't want to and he notices her pupils dilate and she's trying to look in his face but she keeps looking at the abs (laughs) so it says a low growl built in my chest when her eyes inadvertently dropped to my abs my note was i love me a growl so all for it. As a side note, I think I'm going to have to have a mind growl lesson with Mr. Savage for my TikToks. So. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. I am. I second that. We'll see if we can convince him. He's at the moment completely tired of my shit. So, <laughs> but yeah. And he's he's trying to chant in his head like he doesn't want to have these thoughts about him her his sister but he just can't stop himself and he was mad that this dude tobias was having the same thoughts about her obviously because he was clearly attracted to her and the motherfucker was salivating after my sarah it was infuriating i love that he just kept calling her mine which we all know is completely put it in my veins (laughs) but he kept asking god if this was like a test he's like please God help me. Is this a test? If so, why are you forcing me to fail? Because he wants her so badly and he's trying to stop himself, but he can't. This was after, by the way, because the both of them apparently have sleep problems. So he gives her a sleeping pill to go to sleep and sits there and watches her fall asleep. Whenever there is an attack or her curse shows up, she always takes a sleeping pill. But she had some pretty nasty side effects once. So he offers to stay with her while she yeah. sleeps. So, But then she falls asleep and all he wants to do is touch her. And um, I think, and, and it's like, we know that it's Amadeus. Oh my God. What is uh, Asmodeus. Um, Asmodeus. <laughs> I should write it down so I don't like mess it up. But Asmodeus, and we know that it's Asmodeus whispering in his ear saying, take her, she's yours, she wants you, every woman wants you, she's lucky to be touched by you. But he's thinking of himself, he's like, I'm the cliche, dirty politician with immoral intentions. And the voice just kept taunting him and taunting him and he gave in. Well, Sarah in her sleep begins to touch herself. Oh yeah, because she's super horny. Because she hasn't gotten off in forever or ever because she can't, she can't date anybody. You could probably extrapolate this, but Sarah is a virgin. So if that's one of your tropes that you enjoy, this is exactly what you want. The way that, the way that that's rectified is, oh my God, so hot. But so she's touching herself in her sleep and he comes to the conclusion that no one 
has to know what he's about to do to her. She's taken a sleeping pill and she's not going to know. And their parents aren't there. So he can touch her with impunity. And he sure does. <laughs> he makes her come, right? Yeah. In her sleep. Which if you're into that, there's a lot of this whole sleep sex situation happening in this whole book. What is that called? Sin- Somnophilia. Thank you. I was like, I was like son of something. So yeah, if you're into that, I, there's a couple of scenes of her sleeping specifically and him like going down on her and doing stuff to her. Yeah, it was really hot though. Because he again, while he's trying to trying to talk himself out of it, but at the same time trying to talk himself into it all at once. <laughs> it's okay. Meh. I'm very unorganized today. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But he then proceeds to jack off over her. Yes, he does. Once she comes and he marks her. We love us a scene of a marking. He says, I had broken the barrier and done something reprehensible. There was no coming back from it. And even though she didn't know any better in her unconscious state, Sarah was mine. Yes, she was. And both of us were all about it. Yes, we were. We were super into it. And he said, I should have felt guilty over what just happened, but I certainly didn't. All I felt was utter bliss. But he knew that if he stayed any longer, that he would go further. And so... Instead, he got dressed and cleaned her up with a warm washcloth because there's always a warm, wet washcloth from somewhere. Always. I'm sure they all have attached bathrooms, but I just had to make that note because in 95% of <laughs> romance novels, there is a washcloth scene or some sort of like where the guy then cleans up the lady. But you know what we didn't get in this book, guys? We didn't get the shower scene. <laughs> I noticed that. I thought of you. <laughs> At one point I was waiting on it and I was like, oh, Nat's going to be so disappointed because it's everywhere. It's all the time, but it's not here. That's it. This is not a romance novel. There's no, there's no shower scene. But what we did get later on is a hot, sexy desk scene. So I'll trade one for the other. I'll, I'll allow it. (laughs) I'll allow it. Well, after this event with Sarah, (laughs) <laughs> Tristan calls Michael and gets Michael to give him to, to schedule an appointment for him because Tristan's a little freaked out. Yeah, he's feeling guilty and he wants to hear another one of Michael's stories about Sarah and Asmodeus. Well, he even he inquires. He says, I did something. I made some impulsive choices and it could have a negative effect on Sarah, but it could lead to something really good. So does the ends justify the means? Is the fact that I did something bad, really that bad, since it's going to result in something good for her? And Michael starts to tell him the next part of Asmodeus's story. Asmodeus has fallen in love with Sarah, but as a punishment, God makes it so that the only women that Asmodeus could touch were the ones that he was in lust with, never the ones that he was in love with. He could know all of the sins of the flesh, so to speak, but anything that that could touch his heart or touch his soul, he had no ability to connect with. That's so sad, though, isn't it? I mean, I know that's kind of the whole point of this book, but I just felt it's we've all been in the beginning of a relationship where it's 95% lust because it's new and you don't there's absolutely no way you could love somebody because you just met them. But it's so hot and fun. Because it's all superficial, right? 
But then once that relationship develops, I mean, at least maybe speaking for myself, it just gets so much better because you get it. You still have that lust there. It's not as it doesn't go away. It doesn't diminish. No, but it's not as forthcoming, right? There's other, it's not the first thing about your relationship. No. And I think that there, there are additional layers that come with it that makes it deeper. Yeah. So to never get to that state, I feel like, and there's people who are like that. Many people who are like that, who just go from one relationship to one, another relationship to another relationship really quickly, because as as soon as that initial honeymoon phase ends, they lose interest because they think that it's not passionate anymore. Well, I, I think some people, and I, I'm, I'm thinking of, of a friend of mine, it's almost as if there's an addiction to that new relationship energy. Yeah. And in in Polly, that's something that that is addressed a lot as as new relationship energy or NRE. Because when you find that relationship, you have to find a way to balance that initial, oh my God, I am so in love with this person. I am so all about it, but not lose the connection and the energy and the time that you spend with your other partners. I don't know how people do that, but I commend you. Seems like a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but it's worth it, in my opinion. But I understand that some folks are not built that way. And that's okay. No, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I think it's really interesting. But as I've I've told you <laughs> privately when I told my husband about you and your relationship status and how you were mad at Mr. Klein because he was talking to his girlfriend very loudly <laughs> next to you while you were trying to edit. And you were going to commit a very mean act, possibly murder. (laughs) I told him that and he looked at me like I was crazy because I I had forgotten to tell him that you were a poly because it's not like that important, right? It's just another aspect of you. But obviously he had no idea. So he looked at me like I was insane. Like, wait, she was mad because, because he was talking to his girlfriend, but not because he was talking to her, but because he was being loud. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot to tell you. Like they're, you know, they're poly. They date other people. And the very first thing he says to me is, I don't know how people do that. I wouldn't want another one of you. You are so much work. And I wasn't sure if I should have been flattered or insulted. Yeah, I can see where that might be a problem. <laughs> because I was like, wait, you mean? I mean, this is going back to like my my dark romance book boyfriend TikToks, but I was like, wait, the only reason you wouldn't want another partner is because I'm too much to deal with. Not because you would only want to love me and I would fulfill you 150% and you wouldn't ever think of being with anybody else. No, that's not why. It's because I'm freaking annoying and he doesn't want, he couldn't imagine having to deal with two of me. I love it. Joke's on him. We have two daughters and they're mini me's. So he's got three of me to deal with now. Oh, just wait until they hit that 15, 16 age because you'll have one 16 and one 13. Yeah. His life is going to be sad and hard. Yeah. He's going to want to leave and never come back. He has thought about this. Sorry. We have completely gone off the rails as per (laughs) usual. (laughs) We should probably talk about the book some more. And not about your poly relationship and my non-poly relationship because my husband would never want to double his load of Natalia's. Well, I think Natalia is pretty awesome. I, I would accept another one of you. I think it'd be great too. I mean, I'm th- honestly thinking about it. 
And I don't see a down point. You get more people to help you clean. You get more people to help you parent. You get a whole other salary if you live together to help you with daycare and mortgage. And this is sounding better by the minute. And when one is upset, the other one probably isn't. So that way you never have have to be sit at that at that point where you go oh my god what am I going to do everybody hates me because everybody doesn't hate you at least one of them is bound to still like you there you go it's always an upside <laughs> yeah <sighs> but Asmodeus has a has heard Sarah and she's heartbroken because two women called her a murderer and a harlot because the men that have been interested in Sarah have all ended up dead. Mm-hmm. And this is Sarah with an H, not Sarah with an A. Yeah. So this is Asmodeus' is Sarah. And she is very hurt. And she comes back through to the garden. And she finds that both of these women have been mauled by some large creature. And Asmodeus is, he can't, she can't hear him. But he tells her that their wickedness will never reach your gentle ears again. For angels sacrifice what they love for the sake of humanity. But fallen angels will sacrifice humanity for the sake of their love. I love that line so much. And I think that was my favorite line in the whole book. It goes back to that why we love villains so much. Because I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's something like, because a hero will sacrifice his love to save the world, but a villain will sacrifice the world to save his love. Yes. Something, something like, like that. that, right? And I mean, who doesn't want their love to sacrifice everything for them, right? You want to be you want to be that important to somebody. Who doesn't want the person in their life to be willing to burn down the world for them? That is half of my problem with Mr. Savage. He is way too easygoing. <laughs> We need to develop some kind of training program. You know, I really was thinking about this. I should make a manual, like a like a handbook, like a dark romance book boyfriend handbook where you can look up how to act and how to react to certain situations. That's it, folks. But as you're, you know, once you finish listening to us, send us all your recommendations on what needs to go in our manual. Yeah, help me out. I'm going to make this manual for the world, for the dark romance book lovers of the world so that we can all have our dark book boyfriend because as we know if you can't find him you got to make him so if you have one that's not broken and by have one I mean if you have a significant other you don't you don't want to get rid of them but you just want to enhance them a little bit how are they going to know if you don't tell them how how to react and how to feel so well I'm going to pull this back to Michael of course you are of course I am I have figured out that I must be the serious one. You must be the serious one. Yeah. Because someone, someone has told us, someone gave us a very nice compliment about how much they like the podcast and how they giggle along with us. But that one of us is way too silly. And one of us is the serious one. And I think I'm the silly one because I don't stop laughing. And I must be the serious one because I'm forever and always pulling us back on track. That's because you have to edit this nonsense. It really is. That's what it comes down to, folks. It's not because I I want to talk about the books, so to speak, as opposed to all the other incredibly entertaining things that we discuss. It is because I have to edit out everything else. (laughs) Yes. Or otherwise you're going to get a five-hour podcast, and that's just too long. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Back to the book. I'm going to be the serious one. Let's do it. I like it. You be the serious one, and I'll laugh and giggle. (laughs) But Michael explains that 
the ends can't justify the means if the result is you end up hurting what's important to you. And he says that maybe it's best to take a step back. Don't be so impulsive. Don't react spur of the moment decisions. You know, chill a little bit, boy. And Tristan takes that into account when he decides that maybe it's best that he doesn't kill Tobias because that would hurt Sarah. Yeah. So instead of hurting him, he decide, he develops the game plan that he is just going to convince Sarah to stay away from Tobias. I cracked up. It says, and if taking a step back kept my impulses in check, the ones to inadvertently hurt her repeatedly, then I needed to return home and find a new way to control these urges. I could take up meditation. Yes, I'd indulge in meditation to learn better self-control. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. That was exactly what my note was. Good luck with that. (laughs) Yes, because if we get a meditative hero who is not unhinged, we all know that Natalia is going to say that this book is not her jam. And this book was 100% my jam because he was freaking banana pants in every single way. I mean, we we should probably say that Drethi's other books is also a step-sibling book. She just writes a good step-sibling book, huh? Well, it's a it's actually a guardian ward because Milo is a couple of years older. I think he's like five years older maybe than Raven. And he has the guardianship of her. So it's not quite step-sibling. But he's more or less her brother, right? Because they were all brought up together. Right. It's kind of the same thing where he has the power and the money and the authority over the family in general, even the parents, Milo. Yes, that's right. I didn't think about that, but that's that's exactly 100% correct. So it's very similar to this. And in case you aren't familiar with that, that series is the Quarantine series, and it starts with Quarantine, and it is, it is Milo and Raven's story, and it is fan-freaking-tastic. Yes, and super dark and lots of mine and non-con and all the stuff that I like. And we shouldn't have to say this. Check all the trigger warnings and content warnings for all the books that we talk about or read. It is hot as hell. Yeah, I want to reread that. I haven't reread that in a while. I'm sending my reread on that till we do it for the podcast because I am... I started to think about that the other day that I was looking for something to read and I realized that I needed to, to hang on to that. Because you still haven't read the third one, I believe. No, I haven't because I'm saving that for the podcast. Uh, we've digressed once again. Let's, yeah, let's get to the sex, okay? <laughs> I want to get, I want to get to the sex. Please, please and thank you. Well, Sarah wakes up. Tristan is is doing his thing with Michael. Sarah wakes up to find that she has taken her underwear or she has apparently taken her underwear off in her sleep. And she believes that God is reprimanding her because of her desires and interests. And that's the reason that these people, these men continue to get hurt. She talks about that she has watched so much porn and the type of porn that she likes is the, how does they phrase it? Dirty, humiliating porn that someone like me had no business watching. Everybody has business watching that. Nothing wrong with it. When these urges first popped up and I started noticing boys, that's also when they started dropping like flies around me. My lewd thoughts angered God and anyone to touch me suffered the price. Yeah. And she's not even really concerned with the fact that she woke up without her underwear because she wakes up a lot of times with her hand like between her legs and she's wet because she's just so I guess sexually frustrated like we said before she can't date so she can't really even have like a physical normal physical relationship for somebody who's her age at that point but she gets dressed and Tristan shows back up he's had his visit with Michael and he has decided that he has figured out a way to keep the shelter open 
Yeah, I didn't really pay attention to that part, as we know. I didn't. Well, it becomes important later. So I thought it was important to mention. Yeah. Because, and my, my, he says, I'm sure that I can find someone to help our appeal with the DC zoning committee. Yeah. I'm positive they'll grant the shelter more time if we showed you cause. And my note was, yeah. And what's that going to cost? Yeah. Well, he's also said he, uh, he's a politician, right? He knows a bunch of people. So he's like, we can probably figure this out. I, and she's taken aback because she's like, wait, you want to help me with this? You don't really care about the shelter. But she's looking at him like a big hero at this point. And this whole time, she always looks at, up up to him because he's her older brother and he's successful and he's somebody to look up to. And she believes in him. She believes in his campaign. So what happens later is kind of a surprise to her because he can do no wrong in her eyes. Well, Tristan hugs her at this point and he gets hard. And she notices. She notices and she says, wait, no, that can't be right. He would never, he would never give me a hug if he had a heart on. And that's when he tells her to completely and totally stay away from Tobias. Mm -hmm. He says that he, cops are always trying to get information on my campaign and he's just using you and I want you to stay away from him. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is he notices that she looks extra sexy because of course her her outfit is a little tight. Because the outfit's one size too small. And he's complaining internally because she looks too sexy, even though it's his fault. Yeah. Yeah, that will never not be funny. No. Unless it happens to me, and then it will totally not be funny. So, Mr. Klein, don't get any ideas. No. No. It's mean. Don't do that. My body images just say that's wrong. Don't do it. But Tristan leaves, and Tobias shows up. And Mary is having absolutely none of Sarah's attempts to not see Tobias. She has a convenient breakfast made. And, oh, look at that. She's got a skedaddle. So why don't you you stay and have this breakfast with her? And Tobias is, makes a joke like, oh, well, I would hate to waste the food. <laughs> and Sarah says, well, you know, I had that thing to do. And she says, yeah, that thing got canceled. Yeah. So she has a reluctant breakfast with him and they get along really well. But she wants to respect what Tristan wants, but she can't get Tobias to stay away. He won't. No matter how much I pushed Tobias away, he was everywhere. And one night, as I was saying my goodbyes, Tobias took me into his arms for a kiss and stole my breath and left my head spinning. He did the same the following day and the day after. By the fourth day, an odd realization dawned on me. I had inadvertently allowed Tobias to court me for days, and he had survived to live the tale. It was nothing short of a miracle. We, as the reader, know it's because Tristan has no idea. They're not going out, so Sam can't say that they're being seen in public or anything. Steve. Steve, sorry. So clearly, Tobias is fine. And he says, I want to take you out. And she says, well, my brother wouldn't approve. Tobias gets a little frustrated because what does your brother have to do with anything? You know, your parents obviously approve of me. So where's the problem? And he says, you're just trying to let me down easy. You're just not that into me. He kind of gives her an ultimatum at that point. He says, you need to decide what you want. So unless you're at the point where we can start going out and actually dating, I don't have anything to do with with this. Tristan shows up. She went out 
And Tristan accuses her of lying to him when she says that she was out alone. Yeah, because he found out about Tobias somehow. He's not happy. He's in her room when she shows up and I wanted to beat him. I just wanted to smack him. She says, okay, Ken, I'm not lying, but it's fine if you don't believe me. Now, can you please leave my room? He says, leave. This is my house. Well, technically the statement was true, but he had never thrown it in my face before. I have the right to be anywhere in this house. Go anywhere I see fit. You, on the other hand, have no rights at all. Don't forget that you live here because I let you. And I thought, my God, what an ass. What an absolute ass. And I thought, I thought, what an ass. I love him. Of course you did. Of (laughs) course you did. I've made that note a bunch of times in my reading. I was like, wow, he is such a dick. I love it. (laughs) I don't know why I love the assholes so much, but... Clearly I do. And he was a relentless asshole. He really was. But then, and then he pins her to the wall. Oh yeah, it was hot. It really was. Oh my God, it was so hot. (laughs) Can we get more pinning to walls in books? And Tristan throws it back in her face. He's like, okay, what are you going to do when the cop that you are so in love with gets hurt because of you? I mean, he just nailed and nailed and nailed the asshole in this chapter. It was just one hit after another, after another. And I felt so bad for her. I mean, it was incredibly hot. Don't get me wrong. But (laughs) my heart kind of broke for her all the same. Yeah. She does nothing wrong in this, most of this book. She's trying to do the right thing, but she's also, obviously she wants, she likes this guy. She's never dated anybody because everybody who's ever talked to her in any sort of romantic capacity has gotten hurt. And I don't know how I would feel about not being able to date at 19. That's the pivotal dating age. Yeah, that's when you're you're figuring out what you want and what you like and what you, you aren't interested in. That's incredibly important. It must also do such a number on her self-esteem because I read somewhere that, I don't know if it was 19, maybe it was younger, maybe it was like 14 to 17 or something like that. Those are the times in your age that you develop your self-worth when it comes to romantic relationships. And something like if you're being made fun of, or if you're not, if you don't, if other people aren't like interested in you actively, even if you are attractive, and even if you are a worthy partner later in life, you still think that you aren't because that is when you developed your self-worth or something. Please don't hold me to it, but I read it somewhere and I found it really interesting. So this must be doing some number on her because she doesn't think she's really attractive either. But this pinning her to the wall and her trying to wriggle out of it, Tristan basically attacks her. She says, I don't want to play this game anymore. Please stop. And he continues to push her up against the wall and kisses the ever-living hell out of her. Yeah, and scares the shit out of her because he's never done anything like that to her. And so she starts freaking out. Understandably. But she says, you're kissing your sister. And then he starts grinding against her and she starts screaming. She tries to reason with him. You don't know what you're doing. You don't mean to do this. Please just just stop. Just let me go. And then she starts hit. She hits the point where she says, you're crazy. You are absolutely crazy. And her parents show up. They burst in and Raghu has a, pulls a gun on Tristan. I know. And Sarah does her Mary Sue thing and she immediately calms down because she doesn't want anyone to get hurt. She says everything is, everything is fine. It was, it was a prank gone wrong. 
Yeah, Tristan just scared me with a prank. But Ragu is not really buying that story. No, not at all. I think he and I think the mom and the dad kind of knew that something was happening like the whole time because they're, they've, they were very suspicious of Tristan and his intentions the whole time. Even at the end, when they were okay with it, they knew. The, I think the reason they were okay with it was because they had an inkling that something like that was happening anyway. But he, he's shaken too because he did not mean to take it that far. So he gives her a day to calm down and to apologize because he thinks that she's going to apologize for the way that she reacted. Yeah, what a delusional, crazy person. You attack me and sexually assault me. I should apologize to you. Yeah, that makes sense. It was great. But she never reaches out to him. And then he finds out that she has invited Tobias over because she's ready to lose her virginity. Yeah. She wants to take this, their relationship to the next level. And Tristan has hacked into her phone, I believe. Yeah, of course he has. Of course he has. Of course course he has. As he should. Not only does he have people follow her, of course he has someone who has hacked into her phone. But he goes absolutely apeshit ballistic because not only did she just say, you know, I'm ready for this to happen. She sends him the alarm code to the house and says, come on in. And he immediately sends Steve to deal with Tobias. Says, make it look like an accident. I want it to incapacitate him for a few days. Yeah, but don't kill him. He's still not killing him. This is like Julian Escagar all over again. Yeah, it has its moments, doesn't it? Right? Justice for Tobias! (laughs) Hashtag justice for Tobias! (laughs) It's not quite the same ring as justice for Jake, but it's close. No. No. (laughs) I get why they have these names, but these are just such old names. They really are. And we get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. I did feel a little bad for Tristan, even though he's delusional and totally out of his mind crazy. He says, for the first time in my adult life, I suffered what hundreds of women had claimed to experience at my hands. Heartbreak. Yeah. And Dressy has such a way with words. And that that just made me feel for Tristan when I didn't think that was possible. Yeah. But then he decides he's going to show up because she betrayed him. She he, he feels that Sarah has betrayed him. It's time to take their relationship to the next step. It's time for her to own up to her mistake and make it right. He walks in and she's on the bed in this sexy white lingerie thing. And she's got her eyes closed because she's nervous. She's about to lose her virginity. And she thinks it's the Tobias. So she's totally chill with it. She's good with it. But she's still really nervous because it's a big deal. I did find it very ironic, I guess maybe the right word, because she has this entire fantasy that plays out in her head on how tonight's going to go and how sweet Tobias is going to be and how perfect it's going to be and how soft and gentle it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. And she says, you know, he would take me so tenderly that it would be neither painful nor harsh. Just everything I had dreamed of and more because he was perfect and unflawed and everything good. Yeah, your first time always hurts. It's never, <laughs> you're with. never, it's never fun. A fun experience. Well, I not for the girl. I only had one experience of the first, as <laughs> all of us do. But I cannot imagine that that would ever be a positive thing. No, I have spoken with my friends about it. A good amount of friends who are female, and none of them have had a good experience. 
not not that any of them had like a terrible experience, but it just wasn't good. Same goes to me. It just wasn't good. But Sarah is convinced that Tobias is going to make everything all fantastic. Why did he put so much pressure on that first time, right? A lot of people do. For some reason, people think that virginity means a whole lot more than I think it does. Yes, I agree. I do not understand what the draw is to a woman's virginity and why so much more importance is placed on the woman's virginity and not the man's. Patriarchy. That's the only reason. I mean, let's get our little soapbox. It's because they want to claim it. It's it's like, uh, I don't remember who it was I said it about, but they want to like climb the mountain, plant the flag. They want to be the first. Even if they don't plan on keeping that person or, or staying with that person, it's, it's like bragging right to a lot of people. Yeah, well, it's stupid. I agree with you. I didn't think that it was that important when I when I did it. He was all super excited about that fact, right? And he called his friend right after to tell him about it. And I was like, this is so stupid. Why does it matter? But apparently a lot of people care. Well, I, I guess you and I will just be different on that one because I, I don't see what the big deal is either. I think women don't really care. I think men care. Again, this is just our opinion. But most women I talk to don't care that much. They just kind of want to get it over with. The men tend to put that emphasis and importance on because it's something they can take. They don't think of it as something that is being given to them. They think it's something they're taking. That makes a lot of sense. And it is being taken here. Taken? (laughs) Taken. Jesus Christ, man. He comes in like a hurricane when he finds her on the bed in this lingerie. Because he's livid that she's going to be doing this with him. In his brain, he thinks that she belongs to him and she should know better than to try and date somebody else. And God forbid, have sex with somebody else. So he pins her to the floor. He slides a knee between her legs. And she says, an alarm went off. My fate had been sealed. Yeah, because at first she still thinks it's Tobias. But then the way he's feeling like the vibe and the body that is on top of her doesn't seem right. And she fights him. She fights him tooth and nail. This is She is not one of those who will meekly go into that dark night. But she also begs him to please let her go. Please don't do this. It's brutal. It's a brutal, brutal scene. It is. And it is, it is graphic and it is detailed. And so please be aware of that. If you have not read this book already, know that the non-con is definitely non-con. There is no question. There is no doubt. There is no discussion. It is pure non-con and it was hot as fuck. Yeah, it was. I mean, we're, like we're for it. So please know that. But I mean, and if you're listening to our podcast, it's called Trigger Warning Romance. I shouldn't have to, to warn anybody. It's in the show notes. And any book that you're reading, you should you should do your research before you read it, if you have any sort of triggers. But yeah, this was really graphic. This is probably one of the most graphic non-con scenes I've ever read. For me as well. I have that. I actually have that as one of my notes. That it's not a complaint, by the way. No. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not. No, it's not a complaint. Just an observation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he doesn't even do it on a bed because she tries to run away from him. And he throws her into his room and she like falls onto the floor and that's where it happens. So it is interesting how she was expecting this soft, gentle thing to happen on a bed and the complete opposite happened to her. Well, when he, when he pulls her to the floor, she hits her head and he does have a momentary lapse of judgment, I guess you could call it, when he checks on her because he's afraid he's really hurt her. And then it's like, oh, she's fine. Continue as you were. Like this 
Well, it's like lust comes, right? It's lust. The book is called Lust. This lust comes over him and he's just overtaken. And I think this is why a lot of women like reading these kinds of books, especially with a non-con, is if they have had this happen to them, they want to switch. We've talked about it before on a different episode, but they want to switch the narrative and they want to at least put a spin on it where the reason this happened is because the person was just so overtaken with how beautiful and sexy and how much they wanted them. Like they wanted them so much that they ignored and didn't hear the them saying no to, to them. So I don't know. Who doesn't want to be wanted so much that almost nothing else matters? I think it also helps that they they can rewrite the narrative into something positive because yeah. these situations in the books we read have such positive, happy ever afters. Mm-hmm. And it's an indication that my opinion here, and I am not an expert. I am not a mental health anything. Um, this is from, from my experience and from the experience of, of friends and acquaintances. But when you are assaulted in such a graphic manner, I believe that you kind of wonder if life is over because it affects you so so deeply on such a, a visceral level that a lot of women don't want to go on. A lot of a lot of women believe that being raped is worse than being murdered. Because if you're raped, you have to live with it. You have to experience the aftermath. And in these books, the aftermath is happy. And I think that is part of the appeal. I agree with you. Yeah. because you know, reading this book, you get to rewrite what happened to you. You get to, you get to have the happily ever after you deserve. But he takes her and she wants to know, why are you doing this? And he says, because you're mine. Mm -hmm. And she says, but stop. It hurts. It hurts so much. And he says, well, then stop fighting me. It won't hurt so much if you just stop fighting me and, and give in. She closes her eyes because she can't stand to look at him. The, the anguish that she feels, she can't believe that this is her brother doing this to her. And as he starts getting close, he tells her that he needs her to come with him. And she says, I let him have at it, transporting myself to somewhere else entirely in my mind. And there is so much stimulation that she forgets to fight back. And he makes it absolutely impossible for her to not come for him. Well, he's also lust like... I don't want to say he... He embodies? He's got the power. Yeah, he's got the power of lust, right? Kind of. So he's really... And he's really good at sex because he's had sex with multiple hundreds of people. I don't know. He's had plenty of experience. Yeah, he's got plenty of experience. But on top of that, he's also got this almost otherworldly power because he's made this deal with lust. So it's almost like a superpower of his. Because he says later on that he's, he's so good at it. His one power is to make women come. But after they're done, Sarah is kind of broken. She's non-responsive and totally indifferent to him. It's like he doesn't, he ceases to exist and she's bleeding. And he freaks out a little bit about it. He says Sarah lay there with her eyes closed as if dead, or perhaps she wished for death. I swallowed the lump in my throat. No, that would never happen. I wouldn't let it. I laughed so hard. He says, not a single word passed between us. What in the hell could I say anyways to make it better? Sorry, I raped you wouldn't exactly cut it. I highlighted the same exact phrase (laughs) because I thought that was funny, too. I was like, um, well, yeah, I guess he's got a point there. 
See, the thing with his character is he is very repentant. I guess that's the word, right? He feels really apologetic. Yeah, he feels bad about what he's done and what he is doing, but he can't stop himself. He's got lust more or less whispering in his ear, like the devil saying all these things. I'm not saying we're going to excuse him for his actions, but it is a little bit more understandable because he's dealing with something A, he doesn't even know that he's dealing with. And B, it's this otherworldly superpower. How do you fight it? Especially, if, yeah, especially if you don't know that you're fighting. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, he thinks he was just a dream. Yeah, of course. I mean, anybody would just think that it's a, well, I guess not everybody, but most people, most sane people would think it was probably just a dream. I mean, I have crazy dreams all the time. But when I was pregnant, pregnancy makes you dream crazy because your hormones are insane. And the banana pants dreams I had, I don't, don't remember any of them, but they were so vivid. I would have sworn that these things actually happened to me. But anyway, so then he decides that he's going to lock her in. Yeah, he, he goes to make breakfast. <laughs> And then when she wakes up, she realizes that she's locked in there and she freaks out because she's locked in. I would pretty much freak too. Yeah, because I think she just, because this all happened in his room and she wants to go desperately to her own room, but she can't get out. Not only did he do these horrible things to her, but then he locked her in the same place that it happened and she can't escape it. Most of the men that we read about at least have the decency to put them back in their own bed. That's true. But he wants, I think, Again, I'm not excusing his behavior, but I think he wanted to make sure she was okay because of the way she was unresponsive and the way she was acting. I think he wanted to keep an eye on her. So keeping her in his room to keep an eye on her was his motive. I think so. And he knew, he knew that she would run for the hills. He knew that she would disappear. So locking her in makes sense. But again, I giggled because he says, once we discussed the extent of our new relationship, my mind would be at ease. She will agree. I repeated the mantra to myself. And I was like, their new relationship? He's a bit presumptuous because if she's unresponsive to what he's just done, thinking she's going to agree is pretty self-delusional. Yeah, but he doesn't care. He says, the only truth remains in our lives is that Sarah was mine, whether she liked it or not. So he doesn't care which is my trope. My, I put it in the veins. He doesn't care whether she wants to be his or doesn't want to be his. She's his and that's it. And it it's something that plays out throughout the rest of the book. Kind of, he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what repercussions may come because he's running for like Senate, right? Right. So some somebody who's running for Senate and dating their own sister is usually not the best political move, but he doesn't care. I think towards the end, he says, I would sacrifice everything to be with you. I don't care about anything. I'll make, I'll figure it out. It takes him a little while, I think, to get to that, to that point, because for a while, he still tries to juggle the career with the dating his girlfriend until he finally has that epiphany where he says, I want to be a better man. Well, he brings her breakfast and she freaks out and tries to skedaddle out of there. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to catch you when you run. We both know this. You don't have your car keys. You don't have your phone. So can we just maybe fast forward through that part and get to our conversation? And Tristan promises her that he will keep himself under control as long as she ends things with Tobias. Yeah. He says, whether you like it or not, you're mine. And that's all there is to it. Surely you know me well enough to realize I don't share. And she freaks. And then... She's like, wait, you're going to do this again? She says, share, you mean, what the fuck? She ran two frantic hands down her hair. You plan to do that again? Dread and desperation surrounded her and she couldn't finish the sentence. 
Yeah, I guess she thought this was a one and done, but he's clearly thinking this is going to be our relationship now. And then he gives her the ultimatum. I love me an ultimatum. He says, I have leverage. Mm. The blackmail is the blackmail is so beautifully done in this. I love blackmail so much <laughs> in books, guys. He tells her that that if he has the ability to save the shelter, then he also has the ability to take it away and mm-hmm. make sure it's torn down earlier than planned. So as long as she gives him what he wants, he will help her keep the shelter open. Yep. And he says, at any rate, how are you going to explain your losing your virginity to dear Toby? He knew you were a virgin and all of a sudden now you're not. So your options are either to tell him that you cheated on him or tell him the truth, because obviously he knows she's not going to want to tell him the truth either. And at that point, I'm going to run your shelter into the ground so fast you won't have time to find an alternative housing for all those people. So, of course, she... She does try the, but but I'm your sister card. She does play that card on him. And he says, I stopped seeing you as my sister a long time ago. So if I can stop seeing you as my sister, you can stop seeing me as your brother. He again realizes to himself that he couldn't marry her and that he doesn't have anything to offer her, but that doesn't change his mind. And he says he'll give her a few days to figure out what she wants to do. I think he goes to see Michael, right? Yes. Or Michael comes to his office, I believe. Regardless, he sees Michael. Yeah. And of course, Michael knows what's up. So he's trying to get it out of him. Michael reassures him that he's got plenty of clients that are high profile. And if he were to share something that hypothetically happened, that he doesn't have to report anything. So he said, Mike, he told Michael that he had a dream that he hurt Sarah. And Michael told him another story about Asmodeus is Sarah and Asmodeus. And he says, if you find yourself at a similar crossroads with your Sarah, maybe it will be helpful to remember that toxic love will only push her over the edge. Sacrifice is the only way to true love, even if that means letting her go in the process. And Tristan did not accept that. (laughs) No, he was having none of it. Mm -mm. He said, this motherfucker thinks I'm paying him $450 an hour to accept something that I'm going to let this, the only person I love go. He's fucking crazy. (laughs) And he, I think he went to find Sarah at that point. He bolted out of the office and ran back to, to find Sarah. And she was doing the art therapy at the shelter. I did find some humor in Jen at the shelter and her reactions to Tristan. I thought it was a really great way of showing how women react and respond to him. Yeah. And she's just babbling at him. Oh, would you like a tour or whatever? I don't know what she said, but I don't remember. But she's just offering like, oh, if you're free, let's go get coffee. (laughs) And Sarah goes and intervenes and or or she says, I don't remember the, the guy's name, but she's like, oh, let's just say Bob called. And she's like, Bob, who's Bob? Like your husband. I mean, that says so much right there. It was funny. I also liked that it showed Sarah doing the work with the children and it showed this shelter as this place of good. The author did a really good job with showing us the people who were there at the shelter and why they needed to be there without making it drawn out and boring, like made a point and left it there and then went back to the sexy times, which I appreciated. (laughs) 
<laughs> I also like the way that Sarah put things into perspective for herself because she knows that if she brought charges against Tristan, that one, it, it would destroy the family. And two, it would come back on her before it came back on him. Yeah, she thought about Judge Kavanaugh and that whole situation with the Supreme Court and I think it was Dr. Ford and how this person came up and took a stance against this judge and the world just more or less laughed at her. She had to quit her job because people just kept harassing her there. And they ridiculed her. They shunned her. They, I mean, they just completely turned against her just for doing what she felt was right. I really appreciated that Drethi used a real world example, but I hated the fact that there was an example to, to use. Well, there's many examples to use, unfortunately. I mean, someone brought this up to me not that long ago, and it makes perfect sense now. But if you think about Bill Clinton and the Monica Lewinsky, right, the world made her out to be this succubus. <laughs> and they completely not like they didn't care about what he did and his part in it. If you think about it now in our 2022 vision, it was this super powerful man taking advantage of an intern for fuck's sake. And the world just, this poor young girl, I mean, um, again, we're not saying that she didn't know what she was doing, but if you're put into this kind of position, it's the fucking president of the United States. Are you really going to say no? Who's going to believe you? And think about the cost of saying no. Yeah. So whether she said no or she said yes, there wasn't real consent there, in my opinion, because with the power difference, she didn't have that option. No. And again, the world ridiculed her and more or less ruined her life, right? She's a joke. Her her name is a joke, even to this day. So it's just sad. Anyway, we're getting very depressing. Let's go back to the fun. Sarah, on the other hand, Sarah gets a little bit maudlin. She does think about how will she survive because she does think I could kill myself then live with a pain I could never get retribution for. But she's the one who talks to the girls and the women at the shelter and who helps them to find their way through those difficult and challenging and morbid thoughts. And she knows that she's strong enough to survive it. And then she decides that she's going to get vengeance against him. She's going to let God be the vengeance because she still, she still thinks she's cursed. So if she willingly lets him have sex with her and just be with her, then something horrible is going to happen to him because something horrible has happened to anybody that she's ever showed interest in and who's ever showed interest in her. So she squares her shoulders and she's like, that's it. By God, I get past it and achieve the only thing that mattered anymore, vengeance. So she agrees to, you know, I guess, I don't know, not date him, but... <laughs> She agrees to be with him in all capacities, except I believe that at this point, he does make the concession that he won't penetrate her until she gets more comfortable with things. And heals because he did rape her, not so gently. So I'm sure she needs a little bit of time to just chill for a little while. We find out that he sent, her, he sent their parents away so that he had time to have her all to himself. Yeah, because again, he's got all the power here. He pays all the bills. He, he owns the house. He owns the house and his parents work for him. So he sends them to work. He does do something very smart. He has Sarah to meet him in one of the guest rooms of the house, a neutral zone. And that was really smart on him. But I love how like fancy they are. They have a drink cart in there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is like a, a mansion, right? So I guess they have drink carts everywhere. I've always wanted a drink cart. I, I should get one. You know what? Note to Natalia, 
when you're done breastfeeding, I have a pumping cart right now, <laughs> like for breastfeeding. I have uh, my pump and all the parts and all the snacks and water. And I'm going to make that bitch a drink cart. <laughs> and I'll be fancy too. Let me know how that works for you. We'll do. She tries to negotiate with him, doesn't she? I think so. Yeah. Because she says no dinner, no romance. Just if dinners and niceties have no part in our really twisted relationship. If if I wanted to avenge the crimes committed against me, I couldn't falter by viewing my perpetrator as a hu- in a human light. In a humane light. If you refuse to give me more time, then all I can agree to is something purely physical. And he is taken aback by that because he didn't think that she would agree to something like that. But it, in the grand scheme of things, is a whole lot easier on her than the alternative. Yeah, of course. Because he's given her really no choice. Now tell me, do you think that he is surprised that she stood up for herself and made a stand? Or do you think that he's surprised that she agreed at all? I think she he's surprised that she agreed to a f- purely physical relationship, considering what happened. Because I thought that she says, don't get me wrong. I wasn't naive and knew Christian would distort the lines of morality if it fit him. And just because he didn't want to inflict violence didn't mean that he wouldn't. Tris's eyes widened at my suggestion, finding it unbelievable that I would concede so easily. He questioned my ulterior motives, but the greed glinting in his eyes also told me he didn't care. So I, I'm going to disagree with you. I think that perhaps he was more, he was expecting more of a fight and the, the surprise for him came that she, she capitulated easily. It didn't take a whole lot of effort on his part to convince her. And I think he suspected that it would because she fought him so very hard at the beginning. At the same time though, he literally gave her no other choice because it's either do this or shut down the shelter and she will she's clearly very invested in the shelter and all the people in there i mean you're right though maybe he expected more of a fight because she's a very strong-willed human also side note i love me a heroine back into a corner i love when they have nowhere to pivot because i i like to see what they come up with some of these authors are damned creative with, with what they do. Most of the authors that we enjoy are damned creative with what they do. And I appreciate that. I am not a creative person. So I greatly appreciate those who are because I don't have the ability. I am a very creative person, but I don't think I have the capacity to execute well. I will think of things up all day long. I daydream and live in my own crazy fantasy in my head. But to sit down and write something, I don't know if I have the the skill set necessary. So I appreciate it on that level also. But we get to one of my favorite sexy scenes. Oh, yeah? Is it the vibrator scene? It is. <laughs> it was a good one. I realized, and I it just occurred to me, a lot of my favorite scenes, favorite sexy scenes involve blindfolds. Ah, which I have always been a fan of blindfolds, but I didn't realize it it included my reading. I think that Tristan blindfolding her so that she can't associate what he's doing to her with him is brilliant. Yes. But I didn't understand the handcuffs. Not I didn't oppose to them. Like I it was I'm all for them. But the way he used them didn't seem very comfortable because he handcuffed her behind like her hands behind her back. 
Oh, it just doesn't seem very comfortable to me. And I want to be comfortable when I'm doing things. Well, handcuffs in general are not very comfortable. The metal handcuffs have a great aesthetic, but they suck. Really, the leather cuffs are such a better all the way around. And it it doesn't pull on your wrist. It doesn't, it more it more easily distributes the weight when you if you struggle. It's just a far better choice. So Tristan got got demerits on his <laughs> choice of restraints. C minus. C minus. <laughs> my other thing is, again, I like the, the vibrator scene, but I felt like that was cheating. He's supposed to be this lustful, super great at sex person. And the way he makes her comments with a, with a vibrator, anybody can do that. <laughs> you don't need much skill to do that. Well, I think that I think that part of what it was is that he needed to be a step removed because if he had just gone whole hog, how was he going to get Sarah to distance herself from him if he didn't distance himself from her? I don't know. I see what you're saying, but I think that there was a reason behind it rather than just he wanted to cheat. I see your reason. And again, I really enjoyed this scene, but I just was like, this is really, this is like the first time you're really doing anything to her and this is what you're doing. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. <laughs> well, she obviously did not mind. No, of course she didn't mind. He had one of those super souped up ones. It wasn't even like a vibrate. It was one of those wand things, right? Like the big, the big things. Yeah, I believe so. Because again, she didn't want anything going in her. So he needed something that just an outside stimulus situation. That was really hot. Dirty talk is my, is my weakness. Okay. A hero who has the ability to just get down and dirty with his words just flat out does it for me. And he realized that that was Sarah's key. And so I think that was why I enjoyed the scene so much. Yeah. No, he definitely talks a whole bunch. <laughs> he talks a whole bunch throughout the whole, all of the sex, because all the sex scenes. Because again, this is like something that gets her off. This makes me turn bright red. <laughs> I can't do it. Me trying to talk dirty is, it's just embarrassing for everybody involved. Yeah, same. But I really appreciate it when my partner does. I don't blush so much then. Oh, no, I turn bright red and I'm pretty pale. So my whole body turns red. There's these, again, we're going to go back to TikTok, but there's like a lot of the, this, the sexy men whisper things while being shirtless. And I can't watch those. I'll send them to you though, but I can't, it just makes me so embarrassed. And I know it makes absolutely no sense because of the things that we read, but hearing it versus reading it is just so different. Have you listened to Sierra Simone's Priest and Audible? I have not, but I have heard really, really fantastic things about it. It is on my list. If you, if you like dirty talk, you have to, okay. And again, everybody, you have to listen to the audio. The book is great, but you have to listen to the audio. It's, I mean, first of all, the narrator has got a great voice. And he's super hot. His, his voice is amazing. And Sierra Simone is the queen of dirty talk. So. Oh, she is. And she is amazing. Her American Queen series was just incredible. Yeah. But you have to listen to Priest and Sinner. Everybody listen to Priest and Sinner. You're welcome. Unless you're like me and you get bright red. Me, I, I was cleaning my house listening to that. And I had to stop every couple of minutes because I I just couldn't like focus. Well, I need something to listen to in the car on the way home. 
Oh, there you go. You're welcome. So I'm going to have eight hours. And oh. now is it something I can still concentrate on my driving? I don't know. Maybe. I don't think so. I don't know. I like listen at your own risk. <laughs> you know yourself better than me. No, I think I think you'll be fine because you're a pro, but highly recommend you're going to you're going to come back and be like, thank you. Thank you, Nat. You're welcome, everybody. This is why we love Nat. She always has the best suggestions. Yeah, except for when I offer a newbie who has never read any spicy books, Morning Glory Milking Farm book (laughs) as her first book, because I didn't realize it was her very first. And then I, once I realized, I quickly retracted that. I said, "Do, do, do not. Morning Glory Milking Farm is about it's not a dark romance, but it's a crazy one. It's about milking Minotaur's farm. <laughs> I'm sure you I'm sure people have heard of it because it's kind of blown up recently. But that one is on my list also. I'm enjoying it. I just started it and it's I just needed a little break from the darkness, but I still obviously want spice and I love crazy books. So this is pretty crazy. I've taken a break from the dark too. Funnily enough, but I have gone to the Pax St. Clair series by Thora Woods. And the first one is Lilacs and Leather. It's an Omegaverse reverse harem. And I am really, Mm. the new one comes out tomorrow. So I am really enjoying that. I love me an Omegaverse. Omegaverse is some of my favorite tropes, but I really like the dark Omegaverse. And obviously I don't particularly enjoy the reverse harem ones. I will find a reverse harem that you like. I am making it a mission. I'm sure you will. (laughs) And I've read them before. And it's not like I don't enjoy them, but I just don't enjoy them as much as I enjoy something like Lust because it's all mine. The first reverse harem that we read, I've already got it planned and it is all mine. It's three people saying all mine. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to work for me, but we'll try it. We'll try it. Anyway, back to lust. Now that we have taken a break and walk on the wild side. Yeah. So he makes her come with the vibrator. And then he comes because, well, she's hot and she's getting off and it's it's hot for him. But then she tells him that she wants to come again. I know. I was surprised. I was a little taken aback. Yeah. I was all for it, but I was a little taken aback. Mm -hmm. Me too. 100%. I did not expect that to come out of her mouth. Because she, I think she said, I think they did it like two or three more times. I think so. It doesn't actually say. I think that it it goes into detail on the first two orgasms. And after that, it fades to black. Because really, how many orgasms can you describe without it becoming pure porn? Yes, exactly. Plus we've... And there's nothing wrong with porn. No, but also we've gotten the point. But next, he, he is back with Michael. There's a lot of Michael in this. Yeah, and a lot of other Sarah and uh, I'm going to say Amadeus, but you know, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Sarah with an H and Asmodeus. Thank you. Amadeus, Amadeus, Amadeus. Sorry. Now everyone's going to have that song in their Thank head. Thank you. We should put that in show notes in case people don't know what that is. I'm giving Tori lots of work. Oh, that's what I'm here for. You know what a song I'm talking about though, right? I do. I don't remember what it's from, but I do know that. I do recognize the beat. It's Rock Me Amadeus by Falco. But, well, tying in Asmodeus and Sarah is really the way that this book becomes paranormal. If we didn't have those two weaved in 
weave that listen to me woven <laughs> into the story it would be a contemporary yeah and it's still very in my opinion pretty light on the paranormal it is that is my that is really my one complaint about mm-hmm. lust is i went in expecting full on paranormal so i i was expecting the prince of hell and i ended up getting princess bride yeah, it was almost the opposite of the first book because the first book was very heavy on the paranormal, which was great. I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't, I was expecting dark and it wasn't dark. And this one was dark, but wasn't very paranormal. It's almost flipped. And I think especially because we were coming off of greed, which was so heavy on the paranormal, I was expecting that level from this book. And I was a little, not disappointed, but just a little confused, <laughs> especially because the hero wasn't Asmodeus himself. The hero was Tristan, a human. But Michael weaves it together very well. Yeah, it was a very clever way to do it. Next, we have Tristan, who has a brief appointment with Michael, but he storms out of that appointment to go find Sarah. And he finds Sarah at the shelter talking to Tobias. Oh, I love this. <laughs> this was so good. Yeah. And they're alone in the basement and they're whispering to each other. And she is trying to somewhat break up with him, right? Because she's she doesn't want exactly what's about to happen to happen. Well, she's also realized because of how she responded to Tristan, she realizes that she she couldn't love Tobias. And so it was unfair to keep him holding on. And she doesn't want him to get hurt. And she doesn't want Tristan to kill him. Or the curse to kill him, because she still thinks that's a thing. As readers, we know that it's Tristan doing all this, but hurting and murdering. (laughs) But she doesn't know that. Not yet, anyway. No. And he storms in and basically orders her away from Tobias. And Tobias gets in between them, trying to help Sarah as if she's in a, as if she's a victim. You know, I just want to help. What's going on? Let me, let me do something. All you need to do is is tell me. And Tristan is having none of it. He punches the shit out of Tobias. Yeah, knocks him out. One punch sends him to the floor, but then they Mm. actually fight. There's actual fisticuffs. Yeah, but he does. He does win by but he wins by a lot. He wins by a lot. Tobias is very unconscious and very unhealthy by the time that Sarah is able to get Tristan to to lay off. Which I was like, isn't Tobias a cop? Shouldn't he know how to fight? I had that exact same note. And I think even Tristan does. Later on, he says it's kind of pathetic how easily it was that I could beat up this cop. But I guess maybe at the same time, no, because he doesn't have any superpowers when it comes to fighting. He has superpowers when it comes to fucking. (laughs) So. Well, watching Tristan beat the hell out of Tobias just encourages Sarah to get more involved with Tristan because that's the only way that she can see to get him to have repercussions. Obviously sleeping with him once and letting him get her off a few times, the curse hasn't hit him yet. So the only explanation is to, I believe she says, touch him more. Yeah. And so she kind of finagles things around and she bargains with him and she offers him actual sex to get Tobias help which kind of pisses him off because he's like wait you didn't want me having any sort of penetrative anything with you and all of a sudden you're offering me sex because of this because you want to save this other man because you love this other man and he he doesn't like that 
Like it doesn't work the way she thought it would. He says, two days ago, I would have taken her up on her offer, but now it's stung. Her concession was covered with the stench of love, just not for me. The fists at my side tightened, driven mad because Sarah's negotiations were all tied to saving another man. He was not happy with it. He wants her to love him and him alone. And Tobias is still in the way. So uh, my note was, he's such an asshole. I love it. (laughs) He says, I'll agree to your terms, but only if you let me do what I want before Steve's arrival. Because Steve's going to come help Tobias, bring him home and fix him up. Because no hospitals, because, well, it wouldn't look good for a politician to beat up a cop. So he says, right here, right now. Like, I'll do, you know, whatever I want to you. There's no cameras and no one's coming down here. So if you agree to my no sex policy, as long as you satisfy me in other ways, but we have to do it here in front of Tobias because he wants to, he said he like wants to have sex with her like over his dead body, like physically. It's one of, one of my favorite quotes from the book. Tristan says, I should fuck you in front of your unconscious lover until the only name you remember is mine. Yeah. I was there for it. (laughs) Again, he's such an asshole and I love it. It's like asshole and mine put together. I love it. (laughs) Put it in my veins. Um, And she agrees because she wants to help Tobias, but she's really shocked because she thought maybe he would want to have sex with her right there or get a blowjob or something. But he backs her up against the wall and goes down on her multiple times, which was hot. Very hot. It was real hot. And she got super into it without meaning to even. Well, with as much practice as he's had, he should be able to get her really into it. Yeah. Practice and also this like otherworldly help, (laughs) I guess. Damn. That's all I can say about it. Just damn. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he should be good at it. Exactly. If anybody's going to be good at anything, he should be good at that. <laughs> but then he does make her blow him after. But my note was, oh, so nice. He didn't want her knees getting dirty. So he made her kneel on his shoes. <laughs> and he thought that was honorable. He said, even after that mind-boggling experience, that one one that women called me God for, Sarah was unmoved. This was after he gave down on her. For fuck's sake, I made her come in less than five minutes and I didn't even try to fuck her. For once, I wanted to do the honorable thing and take care of her despite the fact that I had time on my side. I only wanted to give her a taste of how good it could be between us so she wouldn't feel the need to do this out of desperation next time. My note here was, I love that he thinks that that was honorable. I love his modesty. Yeah. After that, she still won't leave. She still wants Steve to come. She's not leaving until Steve gets there. And that's when he's like, all right, fine, get on your knees then. We got 20 more minutes. And he very much enjoys Sarah on her knees in front of him. But when it's over, he asks her, why did you do it? It wasn't just concern for Tobias. And she confesses, I was hoping something bad would happen to you if I gave in. Yeah, and that pisses him off even more. (laughs) She's just very good at pissing him off. She makes an art out of it. Because he says, my fist clenched at my sides. That has been her genius plan all along. We've talked about this. I understand that guys want to plant their flag. But I remember my first blowjob. I was not very good at it. Yes, but you didn't have the lust influencer teaching you how to do it. That's true. (laughs) I know he was nowhere near. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot even compare. 
I guess if you had someone who was that skilled teaching you, maybe、uh, maybe it would have been better. But also romance reasons. We can't have her giving a bad blowjob. This is a romance book. <laughs> That's true. Well, he leaves her there. Steve gets there to take care of Tobias, and she refuses to leave until Tobias is taken care of. And he tells her, "If you don't leave with me, I'm go- you're going to regret it." But he was just done. But she refused to leave, and so, and he says, "I tried to fix things the way Michael had suggested. I sacrificed what I wanted in order to make her happy. None of it worked. At the end of the day, she refused to leave that boy's side, and the only reason she wanted to be with me was in hopes of destroying me. So fuck it, I was done. Fuck sacrificing for love. Fuck giving up my selfish desires in exchange for her wishes. And most of all, fuck Michael. <laughs> Now I was ready to try it." Asmodeus's way. Yay! You got it. <laughs> Thank you, Elle, because I was reading it. <laughs> so I got super excited because, like, well, what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, where does he? Where is he taking this? Yeah, and where he was taking it is into her bedroom. <laughs> My weird note was that Sarah had thrown the covers to one side,、uh, irritated by the summer heat, and she wore nothing except a flannel sleeping shirt. I know. I don't wear flannel in the summer. I don't wear flannel in the summer either. If you're hot, why would you wear flannel? Dressy, could you explain that to me, please? I understand re- wearing a sleeping shirt because it says a flannel sleeping shirt that only reached her waist and a pair of boy shorts. The boy shorts I get super comfortable. The flannel in the summer I don't get. I did appreciate the fact that she wasn't wearing a thong. Like every other heroine, she wears one later though. She does. I made a note of it. We'll get there. But she was wearing a dress, a white dress, and a thong. I'm sorry, who wears a thong with a dress? Thongs are just damn uncomfortable, and they、oh. should be burned along with bras. I used to wear a decent. Well, I worked like I keep telling you. I used to work at a lingerie store. I had my fair share of underwear because every time a new thing came in, I had to buy it. But they have these thongs, but they're technically not really thongs. They got a very thick back and it's all lace. They're a lot more comfortable and they look cute. So highly recommend trying those. We'll keep that in mind. Mr. Klein might appreciate that. I wear them all the time because they're so comfortable. But Mr. Savage is just because it's the only underwear underwear I pretty much wear. He's tired of it. He's not doesn't even, even no reaction whatsoever anymore. We need to take him to school. Yeah, he. I need to write that. What's it called? Manual. Yeah, I need to write that manual. Oh, but I mean, also we've been together such a long time. <laughs> Totally understand. Although romance book boyfriend would not, it would not matter. No, it would not matter. <sighs> But it's all fine. Whatever. That's our our take on underwear. Sarah in her in her boy shorts and flannel sleeping shirt is about to have another experience with somnophilia. Yeah, sleepy orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> and this is right up your alley because Tristan acknowledges that Sarah had just had her birth control shot, and there is roughly a ten-day period from the time that she had her shot to the time that it became effective. Oh yeah. And he says, if Sarah were pregnant, the struggles to alter her perception of me as her brother would take a back seat. I already came inside her once, and here was one last opportunity to double the chances. Okay.、Uh, yes, this is right up my alley. I highlighted this whole fucking thing. I am not surprised. Also, the I love the. This is such a romance novel thing where he's smelling her, and she's got this specific smell, and it's. 
smells like sweet jasmine and then she tastes like someone's salvation i want to taste like salvation i want to know what that tastes like is it anything like chocolate apparently it tastes like sweet jasmine <laughs> i don't like jasmine it makes my head a little wonky yeah i don't really like that smell either but i was just i was like this is such a romance novel thing because every hero and every heroine have a very specific scent and taste and it's never human <laughs> you know it is always some wild ass concept a weird combination <laughs> that works 100 percent. i'm not i'm not hating on it it's just such a romancy thing i've asked mr savage what i smelled like and he had absolutely no no answer to me he could he was like i, I have no idea how to answer that Mr. Klein looked at me like I had lost my mind when I asked him that for your TikTok. It was funny. So I can only imagine what he's going to say when taste-wise. Probably going to be a complete jerk and say something stupid just to piss me off. But Tristan does choose to not attempt to impregnate Sarah, despite how much he wants to. I was so disappointed. <laughs> he does keep his word because he had told her that he wouldn't have sex with her without no, her permission. But he did like come all over her. So sex ed 101, someone comes on your vagina, like on your area down there in general, you can get pregnant through underwear people like it could still happen. So I was very surprised that he didn't do the classic push it back inside. Yes, I was surprised about that, too. I was expecting it and I was kind of hoping for it. Me, too. Because the pregnancy was such a topic of thought. So I wanted to see him follow through. I appreciate that he was honorable and kept his word. <laughs> honorable. Really? I had to. Yeah. Yeah. His version of honorable. <laughs> his version of honorable. But I would have liked to have seen him find his way around it. Yeah. I Again, I'm not saying he should have had sex with her penetrative wise, but again, you can get pregnant through underwear. I was expecting him to full on come all over her and then push it into her, like you said. But that didn't happen. But it's fine. Uh, spoiler alert, she's still pregnant anyway. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Which I, I know he's thought this. And I understand that she's just gone through this horrible traumatic experience. So she's not thinking about it. But I don't know how she didn't think, oh my God, he came in with me without, without anything before that. That would be one of my fears. It would have been one of my first thoughts. Would have been, oh my God, what happens if? Yeah. But she doesn't come to that until much later in the book when she freaks out about it. Well, in the morning, she wakes up and he has his hand between her legs and it scares her because she thought she was dreaming and that she was playing with herself. And she was very disappointed with Tristan because she expected him to respect the boundaries that she had drawn. And she says, what an idiot I must have been. She says, the sting of betrayal gave root to the ugly suggestion. I had spent my life wanting to experience sex, and it was finally in my reach along with my justice. I had concluded that the only ill wish I could bestow upon Tristan was giving myself to him. Now that he had hurt an innocent man, I could do this with him every day without feeling an ounce of remorse until every one of my salacious desires had been fulfilled. And I am there for all of the salacious desires. But also, he does say... I warned her that she'd pay for staying back with Toby. And technically, she had agreed to explore more. So as long as the explicit penetration wasn't involved, he's fine. Steve disclosed to him that Sarah had visited the doctor's office last week and she got birth control shots or whatever. So he wasn't, he was like, well, like we're ready to go. And after he wakes her up, 
she does agree to have sex. Once she realizes that she doesn't need to feel guilty about it, she is all over it. Literally. And then she does feel bad, though, that she likes fucking him. She feels really guilty about it. When he tells her he loves her that first time, because like right after they have this amazing sex and she's feeling guilty, he says, I love you. And she wants to know when things changed for him. And he tells her. And he gets props for being able to tell her the exact moment when things changed. It's not a, it was a few years ago. It was a, this specific moment. And that just made me swoon a little. Yeah, it was another very romance hero thing. Like they know the exact moment that they fell for the heroine. I'm going to ask my husband when he fell for me exactly. And he's going to tell me I have no idea. So that'll be great. (laughs) I will try to remember to ask Mr. Klein. Yeah, please do. I'm curious to see. He seems like a little bit more of a romantic than my my husband. Oh, he has you fooled. I love him dearly, but romance is not his middle name. Okay. I don't know. He just seems like a lovable. He, he gives me all the golden retriever vibes. He is. He's a lovable scamp. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that's why I was thinking that. Because my husband is the complete opposite of that. The romance books have definitely, tr- not. I don't want to say tricked me, but they've influenced me into bar- marrying a very specific type of person. He is very grumpy and he hates everybody. <laughs> Mr. Klein is the same way. Mm. except for very few people and i am only occasionally one of those people i think (laughs) he hates everyone i've told this before i was like during the pandemic when we were all locked down this was like his favorite part of life because he didn't have to deal with anybody except for me and our daughter and he likes us anyway where the hell were we Tristan is telling Sarah about the first time he thought of her not as his little sister. When he came home after law school was over and he saw her on the porch and he thought that she was someone that his mother was trying to set him up with. And he was not exactly pleased, but he was very interested. It took him by surprise. And the words he used That he just fully salivated after my little sister. Well, because what he said is like he hasn't hadn't come home for a very long time. So he hadn't seen her in a very long time. And she had gone from that awkward teenager stage to when you, I guess, develop and become more or less your adult versions of self, right? Yeah. So he hadn't seen her in a while. And then on top of that, I think the sun was shining behind her. So he couldn't quite see her face. It was in shadow a little bit because of the sun. But all he noticed was these long legs and these curves and this beautiful hair and caramel skin and just everything that made him very interested. And then she looked and he saw the gray eyes and he was like, shit, (laughs) that's my sister. But even though he was all, shit, that's my sister, she is still the reason that he chooses to move home to Virginia as opposed to South Carolina where he had been living for law school and he had been campaigning and working on building up a base to get elected. He looks at Sarah, he says, my choices were laid forth for me. Return to South Carolina after this short visit and win the upcoming election in a landslide. The downfall, continue living eight hours away. Alternately, I could move back home and get a place of residency in Virginia, start from scratch in a near impossible state to win for a first timer, but be less than an hour away from everyone. I glanced at Sarah, then at the makeup smudge she had left on my shirt when she hugged me. It was an easy choice. Virginia, 
I'm moving back home. And that right there is what sealed Sarah's fate. Find out that it had been four years since that happened. And he hadn't acted on any of those urges for years. And before this, earlier in the story, he acknowledges that he hasn't been with a woman since he first noticed Sarah. So he has essentially been celibate for four years. That's a long ass time, especially for somebody who's influenced by lust. And after he tells her this, she understands a little bit more about how he got to his breaking point and why he snapped because he held back for a long ass time. And we have to remember the whole time Asmodeus has been whispering in his ear how he deserves her, how she wants him, how good it would feel to finally have her. For four years, he's done nothing about it. And finally, he snapped. And again, we're not saying that we're condoning this behavior at all, but again, it's understandable. And she acknowledges that it it must have been so frustrating for him. She tried to assess how it might feel to want someone for four years, and the ability to do nothing about it must have been frustrating. She is only wanting Tobias for a few days, and it was frustrating, let alone four years. And then Tristan took her to to dinner. (laughs) To a restaurant she had mentioned way back when that she wanted to go because it would be the perfect date night. And he remembers that and takes her. He holds the door open for her. He opens her car door for her. He escorts her in. He scoots the chair in to seat her. He behaves like a perfect gentleman and completely not like Tristan at all. Yeah, and she's noticing it, and she's like, Kristen doesn't open doors or do any of these kind of things. And also, she finds herself being a little bit jealous of the hostess because she's acting a fool, as women do around Tristan. And all she wants is for her to leave, and Tristan notices, and he gets really smug about it and dismisses the the waitress. And she's like, wait, you can't hold my hand in public. What will people think if they see us? And he says, they'll say we look good together. I know. (laughs) So funny. Then we have the freak out about the no condoms. Oh, yeah. Then she freaks out right right in the restaurant. And they leave immediately (laughs) because she just, I mean, I guess eventually, like I said, it, it makes sense because she's gone through all this trauma and she's still processing it. So I guess eventually she processed it up to the point of where he didn't use a condom and she could be pregnant. And what will parents think? You know, they're very Catholic. It would not be great. (laughs) And he says, okay, so we'll get you tested. But we have to find a discreet doctor because you can't just go to anyone. It's also very early. You can't really find out yet. You got to wait a little while. And of course, he says to himself, like, I want her to be pregnant. Even our parents would refuse. Oh, she's freaking out because she's like, I wanted kids, but I didn't want kids like this. What will people think? It will be a scandal. What will our parents think? I don't even think our parents would acknowledge this child that we made. And all he says is, I'll find a way for us, Angel. Also, he calls her Angel this whole time. That is his nickname for her. And I found that very fitting for the theme of these books. I found it a little disconcerting, actually. Really? Because her dad calls her Little Angel. Yeah, I didn't notice that, actually. At the very beginning. Yeah, her dad says, you little angel, what do you say we have dessert now? Ice cream? And so Vince, after she cleans Tristan's coat, he starts calling her angel. And she wears all of the pastel colors because she wants to be his angel. I forgot about that. So the way it all tied in 
I thought was a little strange. Well, I mean, it is a little, the whole book's incestual on, on purpose, so. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. But they have a wonderful dinner out, despite the pregnancy fear. And then this is where he says, I'll happily risk everything for you. He says, I'll happily risk everything for you, Sarah. He murmured between kisses. All I ask in return is that you give me a chance. Oh, that's right. Because all he wants is her to give him a chance and not look at him like her brother. I know it's fucked up. That's all he wants. And he is very single-minded in getting what he wants, but he's still so sweet about it. If he didn't have that layer of sweet over the asshole, I don't know that I would like him as much. I like me an asshole. Don't get me wrong. I think I I would still like him. But it makes him a little more personable personable it makes him a little more personable yeah i still i i don't i mean we who i love me an asshole so i don't care if you're a sweet asshole it actually takes points away in my book (laughs) some assholes i agree with you but for some reason with his relationship with sarah i needed that softness no it makes sense and i i I liked it but i think i would have liked it just as much if he wasn't like that like one of the books that I I love reading, I have a love-hate relationship with this book. I've told you about it. It's Born to be Bound by Addison Kane. It's very, very, very dark Omegaverse. Check all the triggers. That hero, completely irredeemable. Completely irredeemable. Like no one should like him. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> I am looking forward to getting my hands on this book. Yeah. I have not read it. It is one that I'm saving for the podcast because I haven't read it already. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of my favorite books. And I've reread it a couple of times. But there are, again, so many tricks. It's one of the darkest books I've ever read. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. You will you will find it dark for sure. I'm not going to complain about that. No. But speaking about Tristan's softer side, he arranges a meeting for Sarah to have with Lilith, who is the lobbyist for his campaign. And she works with the company that has purchased the land that the shelter is on. Yeah. So he has arranged to get them all together to have a meeting. Before this, I just want to say right after they have that talk about the birth control and the happily risk everything for you, Sarah, this is where the relationship takes a little bit of a turn and she's actively trying with him. And I think she even says, like, Tris hadn't found me a vetted doctor yet for the pregnancy test, but my birth control shot was finally fully effective. So we spent the last few days in my room while we whispered all sorts of degrading, dirty things into my ears. And they just, like, had a fuck fest. And she's she's embraced it at that point. After that is when they have the meeting. So, sorry, go ahead. (laughs) I just wanted to point that out. Well, at the meeting, the the company pretty much gets their asses handed to them. Sarah is not backing down. And finally, Tristan calls the meeting to a halt and says, why don't you guys take a tour? Sarah and I are going to, to talk about things and we are going to think about everything that we've talked about and how we can best resolve this to everyone's satisfaction. Yeah, but the real reason they want everybody out of the room is because they're both super horny, even though they have just had a thousand orgasms before this, because like I said, they've just been having sex nonstop. 
even though they I think theme says like even though they just fucked right before the meeting they're both just super pent up Phyllis and the guys notice that there's something going on they are not stupid nor are they blind and then there's poor Jen oh Jen (laughs) poor Jen poor Jen Jen is just so oblivious yeah but yeah, they they get everybody out for 45 minutes and they do have amazing desk sex. Another one of my favorite quotes. What would they think if they knew you loved spreading wide over this desk like a little whore, he breathed. What would they say if they knew how much you liked being fucked by your brother? Yeah, they really lean into this brother-sister situation. They take the taboo and run with it. And I think that is fan-freaking-tastic. And they do it a bunch of times because... He says, it'll take them 45 minutes to see this place from top to bottom. And it's only been 20 minutes. (laughs) So they do it. I don't know how many times, but then things got a little, then the people come back. Oh, and this is where she's wearing, I think. The white dress. The white dress and a thong. And I'm like, "Mm, just not, not hygienic. Are you going to be sitting in a short white dress and a thong on things? Also, what if a breeze happens? But it's a romance book and we need them to be sexy. So I know, but I just, I hear, I read about these outfit choices and I just cringe <laughs> and think about how awful my life would be if I had to dress that way. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, we should do a TikTok of me dressing you as a romance here, heroine, <laughs> choosing your outfit. And I mean, it works because you don't like pants anyway. No, I don't like pants. And you don't like bras. so And I don't like bras. You're halfway there, my friend. I will take that under advisement. Maybe (laughs) if we get enough TikTok views. I'm getting there. I'm almost at 5,000 followers. But what I really liked about this scene is Tristan has some amazing self-discovery. Yeah. He listens to these men trying to save themselves some money at the expense of all of these families. And he realizes that he is just like they are. And he doesn't like that at all. He says, I suddenly wanted to be a better man. Someone worthy of Sarah. Yeah. So he fucks the whole deal up. (laughs) They almost had him and he threatens to sue them and all sorts of stuff. And they are his backers for this campaign. So obviously after this, they are no longer his backers. And after they leave, he does tell her, he's like, I don't even, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping out. I don't even want to do this anymore. And she won't let him because she's believed in him this whole time. And she thinks that he'll make a great leader. And she makes him promise her that he won't drop out. And he says even to himself later, like, I can't believe she talks so damn much that I'm mesmerized. I loved to hear her blabbering like it was music to my ears. And by the time she was done, I had somehow agreed to continue without a proper backing or funds so we see that she's got her own manipulative way about her so it kind of evens the relationship out and gives her some of that power back because she has power over him he's got power over over everybody but she's got power over him and then there's anal sex (laughs) which i laughed so hard dressy built in a reason for them to have the baby oil and i loved it And my whole thing is because she announced to him, like, I want to have anal sex with you. And I want it this to be our first time. Like, I want to erase what happened before. And he says, you don't have to convince me, but it requires certain preparations. And we have no lube here. We need to go home. And she says, no, right here, right now. And I was like, why? Just get some lube. Listen to him. Why? Why? 
Why? Why is there never any proper lube anywhere? Well, baby oil works. Yeah, I know it works. I wasn't as offended at the baby oil as I have been about some of the other choices that they have substituted (laughs) for lube. Yes, I know. But I just laughing my ass off because of course, of course, there's strategic baby oil in the desk. And my note is, ha, huh, an explanation. <laughs> and my my note was, of course, there was baby oil. <laughs> See, I was thinking that the baby oil was there because it's a shelter and maybe they used it for actual babies. That would have been another explanation. Because spoiler alert for when you guys listen to Priest, he's got anointment oil. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, after they have this amazing anal experience, Tristan decides that it's time to tell their parents about what's going on between them. And she's not too thrilled about that. But he, she says, dad will bring his gun out again and murder you for real. <laughs> and she says that she won't object to their relationship any longer if he promises that he won't hurt anyone else. And he says, never. Yeah. Famous last words. Mm-hmm. But then this was the ultimate for entertainment value because Tristan is losing his ability to taste salt. Yes. I laugh so hard at this that I nearly cried. (laughs) He just continues to add more and more salt. He has too big of an ego to admit that there's a problem. And when we find out later on that it's because Sarah is substituting salt for a... Like a placebo. A placebo salt. That's not salty. That isn't salty. I just, I haven't laughed that hard in a very long time. Yeah. What I initially thought was, oh, this is some sort of paranormal thing happening. I was kind of expecting that he was going to be sick. There was going to be some kind of negative reason for it. So Sarah's confession came from out of nowhere, which I think is why it hit me so hard. Also, that sucks, guys. I had COVID last March, so over a year ago, and I lost my taste completely. And then it came back all weird. And to this day, my taste is still weird. It sucks not to be able to taste food, guys. So I felt really bad for him. But he is once again with Michael and he is questioning Michael because he wants to know the ending to the story with Asmodeus. And it's very sad for me that Asmodeus and Sarah do not get their happy ever after. No, I understand it. I get why it has to be that way. I understand that choice that Drethy made, but I I would like to have seen a little bit of redemption there. That's why I want my Asmodeus epilogue or like a bonus or something. G- give it to me, Drethy. Write me a sexy ending for Asmodeus and his Sarah with an H. Made me really sad too, because with a heavy heart, the demon decided to let Sarah live a life with Tobias. Sarah with an H and Tobias not. Not our, not our Sarah. And Tristan says, thank you for that story. You've known me for a long time, Michael. Tell me, what do you think I'll do if any of those things were to come true? He's not going to let her go. And then to my annoyance, the fucker smiled. For your sake, I hope none of those things come true. Then why did you tell me that story? Well, the big thing that he doesn't want to come true is Sarah with an H kills herself. Yeah, she kills herself. And Asmodeus saves her, but she still made that attempt. Yeah. And the idea of his Sarah trying to kill herself just sends Tristan into a tizzy. And she, he leaves it, like runs out of there to go home. And then we cut to Sarah w- without an H. Well, actually, there is one other thing that happens with Michael. 
Michael never confesses that he is the Archangel Michael, but he does ask Tristan, did you ever think about how interesting a name Raguel is? Oh, yeah. And he breaks it down that Sarah with an H and Tobias named their children after their parents. And Tobias, I think it was Tobias, was from the Nineveh family. And they passed down names, including Sarah and Ragwell and Tobias and a few others. And Tristan makes the connection that Sarah's last name was Nineveh before they changed it legally to Markov. Yeah. And that is his aha moment. And you find out that Asmodeus decides that anyone who is Tobias's descendant is not allowed to be happy. So he will do whatever is necessary to tear them apart. So Tristan comes to the conclusion that Sarah is a descendant of Tobias, and he is very much afraid of what Asmodeus is whispering in her ear right now. And that's when he runs out of there and goes to find her. And she is on the balcony about to jump because Asmodeus is whispering for her to jump. And he does something. Well, she goes in to delete an email and she finds invoices from Steve where he has caused accident for all of the men in her life. And those girls who talked shit about her. And she realizes that Tristan will do anything to have her and that the only people standing in his way right now are their parents. And so the only logical reason with Asmodeus's help with the logic, the only logical way way to save her parents is if she kills herself because then Tristan won't have a reason to hurt them. So she does jump, but Tristan jumps with her and hugs her and protects her from her body hitting the ground first. He hits the ground first. But then he wakes up and finds out that he's more or less okay, even though he took the brunt of the fall. Sarah is not. But there's no reason for Sarah to be in this coma because physically everything is fine, with the exception that they find out Sarah's pregnant. Yes, and they're thinking maybe that's why she's in this coma, but they're not 100% sure. That's when he goes to find Michael because he wants to... He demands him to tell him how to fix it because he knows he can, he knows how to fix it. He's like, stop with all the bullshit and just tell me. He's like, I know you got something to do with this. And Michael says, you need to make a sacrifice, a true sacrifice. So he does. He lets her go because he thinks leaving her is the only way to save her. So he says goodbye to her and... He makes Steve drive him away. For a while, he just drives aimlessly and then he drives away to somewhere. And then he gets a phone call from his mom saying, you have to come back immediately. (laughs) Come back. And Well, before that, he tells Sarah goodbye and he leaves her. And Michael, meanwhile, goes to see Asmodeus in hell. Oh, yeah. And he kind of smacks up Asmodeus upside the head and says, dude, what the hell are you thinking? Don't you think you've you've let this go on long enough? And he pushes Asmodeus to realize that he was the one who was at fault for why he couldn't touch Sarah. Not God. It wasn't his decision. It was Asmodeus because that was the only way that he could save her. He wanted Sarah to have someone that was worthy and he sacrificed his love for her happiness. At which point Asmodeus breaks down in tears and realizes the mistakes that he's made. And he has that moment of redemption and he allows Sarah to live. Yeah. But he's still sad and he needs a happy ending. 
Anyway, Tristan comes back to the hospital. Sarah's miraculously fine. She's better than fine. She's perfect. He is worried when she wakes up because in the fall, he experienced some trauma to his head and face. And so he's severely scarred now. Oh, yeah. He's got that sexy scar. That sexy scar. <laughs> he takes the bandages off for her to see. And he's afraid that she's going to she's going to be disgusted with him. And he says, by God, she was a perfect woman because that's how Sarah reacted with a perfect response. Oh, that's rough, she said, tilting her head to study the scar better. Does this mean that I'm finally hotter than you? <laughs> yeah. And then she does acknowledge that is absolutely not because men like Tristan only look hotter with scars, which we've covered before because Julian got a scar and he just got hotter too. <laughs> that pirate look is in. Yeah, I mean, you give a sexy man a scar and just makes him thousand times hotter, in my opinion. And many other pe people's opinions. Their parents are actually okay with this because apparently they had an inkling, like I said, they've had an inkling that this was going on anyway. And she asks, did they know? And they said, yeah, well, it's just the way they found us when when we fell, we were embracing. And and then, like I said, the, they're perfectly okay with it. And he's like, what about my father? And Raghu's actually said something like, oh, like I couldn't have thought of a better person for you, which was to me a little like wonky, but I guess we have to be, it has to be good that way, right? Otherwise it doesn't come together. Well, I think that part of Raghu's acceptance is because Tristan risked his life to save Sarah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. So that makes a big difference. Yeah, good point. Good point. And then we get the epilogue. And we find out that Tristan did win the, re the senatorial race because of the sympathy vote with Sarah being so ill, but he resigns right away. And they move to Australia because they need to move somewhere where he's not really known so that they can be together. And it's it's told in a third person because they have this baby running around there. I think they're sitting at a park and they're saying like, there's this hot man with a scar and this beautiful woman with caramel skin and gray eyes next to him and a, a cute little baby girl with gray eyes. And they're happily living together in Australia because nobody knows them. And there are rumors about it, but nobody knows anything for sure. And it turns out that Asmodeus is watching over the family and is very protective of them. Sarah's having some problems with a professor at college. And Asmodeus wonders if he needs to take care of it. And he continues to visit them over and over when they visit the park so that he can watch out for them and their little girls. The end. Happily ever after. I love me happy ever after. I love that journey. Like from, again, we've talked about this on the very, very first episode, why I love non-con in books. And I love it because when done well, I love the journey of how do we get from such a horrible moment to happily ever after. So I think that this is one of the best examples of that journey that I can recall ever reading. Yeah, it's really good. I loved this book, obviously. It was really, it was hot. And it was heart-wrenching at the same time. And it was written well. And we had us a psycho hero, which we love. So this book definitely hit the spot for me. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about the third book in the Seven Sins series, Envy by Dylan Page. Yeah. Of Torment fame. I always have a hard time with Dylan's books because after <laughs> I read Torment, I never know what to expect. I don't know if everyone is going to be happy ever after or if there is going to be some kind of cruel murder or if there is going to be some tragedy at the end. I don't know what to expect. And I have a very love-hate relationship with that. 
I love the fact that I never know what to expect, but I hate the fact that I can't guarantee a happy ever after. Yeah, she's your Addison Kane. <laughs> she really is. And I love everything that I have read that she has written. Yeah, I, I really enjoy her books as well. So I'm looking forward to Envy. I haven't read it yet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So everybody read that. But we're going to do some palate cleansers before we leave. Do we have any palate cleansers? You're looking at me. Palate cleansers. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. As if, as if we don't do this every week. As if it's not something we do. I know. But I forget every week. And I don't know why. Don't worry about it. I'll start. It's fine. I have one. And it's... Right after Easter for us here, and I went to the supermarket and my millennial heart was so happy to find these Lisa Frank sugar cookies, limited edition by, I don't remember, Betty Crocker or somebody, but there was like refrigerated little sugar cookies that you bake, but they're hot pink unicorns. And I have two little girls, the oldest of which is obsessed with unicorns and hot pink. So they were right up her alley. And like I said, my millennial heart grew up with Lisa Frank on like all of my school supplies. So when I found those, because they're limited edition, I bought eight boxes. Oh my. And we made some last night for the first time and everybody enjoyed them and they were really cute. So that's my palate cleanser, everybody. Go find some unicorn Lisa Frank cookies. <laughs> I have to get you reading The Order of Ravens and Wolves by T.L. Hodel. If you like unicorns, you are going to just absolutely cry with laughter at the entire second book. Okay. It is dark. Okay. The whole series is dark. It's a secret society. Ooh. New adult. Ooh. And you will love it. Is it spicy? It is spicy. Okay, good. It has a little bit of everything. Nice. I will be looking forward to that. And the guides are all assholes. Okay. Is it reverse harem? No. <gasps> Ooh. Okay. I'm down. <laughs> but my palate cleanser is I am visiting my sister this week and my niece is nine and I got to watch her play softball last night. We had practice in this little tiny field in the middle of nowhere. It took over 40 minutes to get there and we're passing horses and cows and we finally got to the school which was abandoned as noted by the broken windows and the tree growing out of the chimney. Mm. And all the little girl could say was, oh, well, this is a place. And it just <laughs> cracked me up. Kids are funny. Kids come up with this craziest things. Okay. A really quick story about kids. My kids, my older kid is a sponge, right? She's three and a half and she will just absorb anything you say and then repeat it at the most inopportune times. Of course. Yeah. So... My husband comes up to me the other day and smacks my butt as one does. I was like bending over to pick something up. And so she comes up to me later and smacks my butt. And <laughs> I jokingly say to her, no, no, sweetie, only daddy's allowed to spank mommy. Like as a joke. Well, the next day we go to school at drop off. You see where I'm going with this? I see where you're going. <laughs> you're turning red. Oh my God. Yes. I wanted to die. So we get the drop off and the teacher opens the door and my lovely three-year-old looks at her teacher, does not say hello, does not say good morning, does not say anything. All she says is, Miss blah, blah, blah. Only daddy is allowed to spank mommy. <laughs> 
The mouth of babes. I turned this color red and there's a bush right next to the school door. And I just wanted to be absorbed right into it. Just wanted to die. The teacher looks at me, she kind of like giggles and I'm like, bye, see you later. (laughs) And I could not get out of there fast enough. I texted Mr. Savage and I told him what happened and he found it hysterical as he does. That man has no shame. And I was like, just FYI, when you go pick up the kids from school, they might be looking at you a little weird and he could care less. He thought it was really funny. So now his whole thing is to get our daughter to say very, very embarrassing things to her teachers, which I'm going to die one of these days because this kid is going to just repeat something <laughs> worse than what, what just happened. But anyway, guys, thank you for staying with us and listening along as we recap Lust by Dressy Annis. We really enjoyed it and we're looking forward to Envy next week. So read that and come back and everybody have a great week. We'll see you next time. Take care.